0: Let Let us go. Let's see. Let's 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 go mommy, mm-hmm. what's, what's
1: okay.
0: the last, she got
2: All right, good evening. It's great to see you all. Shalom, shalom. All right.
3: Hello. How's
2: Hi. How's it going, everybody?
3: Good.
0: Uh,
2: Eve, great to see you. Good to see
3: you.
2: Adrian, great to see you. Hi. Charna, great to see you.
0: Good to see you. welcome. Thank good you. Good to see no you. No. Stephanie,
2: great to see you. <coughs> Hi. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I, this is a bit of a cross-promotion, but I'm so happy about this. Code to Joy. I oh, that's cute. I got, this is our new um, This is our swag bag for our new roche Society course starting tomorrow night. It's kind of cool. Bottle of wine, wine glass. It's, um, it's the real deal. Cool. Right, anyway, again, cross-promotion. But nonetheless, I figured I should mention it. The Course for Women monthly course starting tomorrow night. Um, Ariella, welcome.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Right.
2: So.
0: Oh, that Ariella.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, all right, um, good. How's everyone doing?
0: Pretty, good. Right? Pretty good. Getting oh. a little tired of the pandemic.
2: I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I wish we could just like, you know, get rid of it, but.
4: Right that'll be
2: good <laughs> i don't know i don't know hopefully sooner than later that's all I, that's yeah crazy but all right hope everyone enjoyed the book
0: actually it yes. was very very interesting mm-hmm. okay. really interesting
2: mine coming out backwards for you or is it just for me
0: it's no it's just no for backwards. you no it's just for. oh you. no yeah you're right they, yeah looking
4: yeah yeah when you
0: when you do the when flip camera your- Yeah, exactly. When you see yourself, it's
2: backwards. Oh, so I see backwards. All right. That makes
0: sense. Yeah. It's like you're (laughs) looking in a mirror.
2: Got it. All right. I guess that makes sense. Um, Okay, cool. Uh, Maybe we'll wait like another minute, Max, just to see. Oh, yeah. Here. So we have more people joining. Okay. Yeah. Let's wait another like 45 seconds or so just so that we can formally start with. uh, Who's
4: who's facilitating?
2: Ariella. Ariella.
4: Yeah, but everybody's welcome to bring topics and ADS. Oh, so you're
0: front and center right there. <laughs> in, at least on my screen. Mine too. Awesome. Mine
2: also. Mine Never also. You must have the same configuration. <laughs> um, by the way, Adrian, I forwarded your um your notes and questions and comments to Ariella, and we spoke about them mm-hmm. today. So hopefully we'll work them into Yeah, the we'll
4: get to, to the present days in. And like kind of where the book ends in, into what it has evolved from Taimanim or Yemenite Jews in today's Israel. Yeah. Um, like,
0: I'm just curious. curious yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go I, ahead. I was
2: just going to say that that just in general, like um, Lisa is joining now. OK, good. So look, this is we so I, I sp- and speak with Ariella. And Ariella is really, you know, <laughs> the leader in this, in this group, um, I, I, you know, we were both wanting as much input from everyone as, as you wish. In other words, like this is meant to be, you know, uh, a group of, of, of really active participants to, again, to whatever extent that you all are open to it. So keep, keep the ideas coming, keep the, you know, questions or comments or, or thoughts coming as we go along tonight, you know, definitely be part of the conversation.
4: Yeah, the idea is like I think when we read books, it, it can bring some topics of conversation. But um, there's certain things that keep you thinking, and like even though you put away that book at night, you just keep thinking of those sorts of things that are fun to discuss. So, um, this thought-provoking provo- pieces of the book, which I think this one had a few, so it should be interesting. Yeah.
0: Just a general question before we jump into topic. Um, I knew almost zero about Yemenite Jews. Is this historically pretty accurate?
4: Yeah, so I, I did uh, a good amount of research on that. I was telling Rabbi Ari today that like I was afraid to take the the book has has real factual history because it's a novel. Um, the book context is actually pretty accurate. There are a few historians that are backing up. Um, Nomi's Eve um, research behind the book. Um, the story itself of Adele and her family is unique and it's it's its own. But the dynamics and the family dynamics and the dynamics and the way they're related to their their land and their neighbors is pretty accurate. So we can discuss some of those things that caught your eyes or were very unique. But they are um, even though I'm not at all and expert on Yemeni Jews or tradition, I was able to do some check and balances of things that were accurate.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I, I caught my eye at one point. You, I don't know how you just said the main character's name, but my Bubby, my grandmother, used to call me Adela. And when I saw the spelling of that, I'm thinking, Adela—that's her name. So.
4: Right, right. Huh. Uh, that's like the Ashkenazi version, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> this is like the the Arab version. It's Adele. Like it's different, like Adela. or Adele, yeah, Adele. Yeah.
2: Okay, so I think let's begin. So, welcome to our second, um, Intown Jewish Academy Jewish Book Club, uh, session meeting. This is—it's really wonderful uh, to see you all here tonight. Despite everything going on out there in the world, we know the power of a good book to take us away sometimes from all the other stuff and transport us into a different reality. And talk about a a, a book to transport us into a different time or a different culture, as was just you know we were just talking about that a, a moment ago about a culture that many of us perhaps um, are not at all familiar with. So um, with with this, I want to uh, once again. Um, give my appreciation to Ariella for, for leading the book club and for coming up with the titles or suggesting the titles and for uh, facilitating the discussion. So I'm gonna take a step back and ask Ariella to please
4: sure. take it away. Um, thank you, Rabbi Ari. I think um, to begin with, I love starting book clubs with just general thoughts of the book. It can be a minute, not everybody needs to talk. Uh, but just, I, I would love to hear, what did you think? Did you enjoy the book? Uh, did, it, it was it surprising, unique, fun? Um, anyone who wants to give their general appreciation of the book would be great.
5: Okay. Never, oh, <laughs> oh <sorry. laughs> No, go ahead Eve. I, I was All right, totally so, so um, two things about the book. Um, I was struck by how um, how they lived, especially in the early part of the book, just how traditional they were and how it was like they were several centuries behind. That, that really, really struck me. And then just thinking about everything they had to go through to get to Israel and what kind of a shock that must've been for them. So that was one theme of the book. The other part of the book that really interested me was henna because i'm um familiar with henna in other cultures but there are so many cross-cultural similarities particularly around bridal traditions in hinduism and muslims with henna So that, and just the way that henna can link women that have really strong cultural barriers i, I just thought that part was wonderful
4: mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah i enjoyed the we'll book definitely online. talk about henna and what he meant for the different characters
0: i definitely enjoyed the book i as uh rabbi said it took me away and i would go like hours reading and then realize that my eyes weren't working anymore so i had to put it down (laughs) but it was a really nice journey for me in this age where we cannot travel so um I, i who selected it was that you Ariel.
4: I mean, yeah, we together, I sent a few recommendations to Avayari. And yeah, I really enjoyed this book. That's what I thought. Um, plus the uniqueness of the Yemeni Jews, how much we don't really um, learn about them. And and yeah. I mean, 90 plus percent of American Jews are Ashkenazi Jews. So yeah. this is a very unique journey as you mentioned yeah. uh, very i
0: only know one person who is yemenite and she lives in israel she's the ex-wife of a friend's son <laughs> <laughs> so, but she's a wonderful person yeah awesome.
6: yeah i love how this author developed characters um, I, I felt like I could really see the people when she described them. Um, so so they lived for me. They jumped off the page. And and I really liked Adela's imagination, the way she kept likening people to certain animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had such a vivid imagination. Um, and I want to ask you a historical question because I have always heard, well, not always, I, I've been interested in Yemenite culture for a while though. So sin, since I've then kind of looking into it i was aware of these child weddings and it's very controversial and i wondered if if that was truly why they happened because there were confiscators and because these children were otherwise going to be kids kidnapped and converted by muslims because that sort of even though it doesn't really make it okay for instance um mr musa you know he ended up passing away but I've heard that there were actual real weddings like that sometimes between a very young girl and an right. elderly old man, and it was really inappropriate. So I, I don't know if you have any more to
4: Yeah, I, um, and I think that's a very interesting topic. And I mean, as much as we try to be neutral when we're seeing the eyes through a different culture, we cannot judge the situation with our own eyes. Um, we'll definitely cover that specific topic. I think it's one of the most sensitive Ones about their lifestyle and the way um, they used to live. So absolutely, and, and and it's real. It's it's really part of what you're saying. It's that protection, but also it was more than that. So yeah,
6: and I don't mean to criticize the families no, no, no. at all. That it happened to. I've spoken to Yemenite women who are kind of they're they're upset about it. Right. I mean, right. They're, they're descended from they, these people. Today, and they're kind of yeah, like this time. should not have happened. And right. so so the younger generation
4: of absolutely. Yemenite women is starting to speak out. Of yeah, and we'll definitely touch on that because it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting topic, I think. You're muted, but I can tell you're talking. Yeah.
3: As an over, okay, as an overview, um, I don't read hardly anything and I really appreciate the opportunity to be exposed mm-hmm. to these books it's been awesome. wonderful. If I were not in a book club, it would take me four months to get through this book.
4: I can relate, um, to that.
3: and and it was challenging with the detail of the descriptions, but I, you know, I, I had to <laughs> be ready for the for tonight. Um, the other thing that I, I, I guess, oh, I did Google um, know me Eve. And I wanted to find out just a little bit about her, and she's only written two books. Right. Nice. Um, and then I, I, you know, I landed on a Yemenite Jewish page, Wikipedia, for what it's worth, and they had a woman, a picture of a woman, you know, I think it was a hand-drawn picture with all the jewelry and the the, the weighted down jewelry and uh, scarfs, Whatever. I mean, it was like every other word um you didn't really know but you can kind of still read it in context um and, and the other thing i noticed was there were so many deaths of babies
5: oh yeah
3: they counted it or it didn't seem to be so um
4: yeah
3: such a big deal um but they they sure were counted.
4: Right. They, I, and, I, and I think that's more than their specific culture is just a, a reflection of the time when like, either dying in childbirth or having an infant baby die was so common. It was almost as an account of people used to say, this is the amount of kids I have, and this is the amount I have living today. Because it just because three infants here in childhood, it was so common. Well, you know, one one of the husbands went crazy when his wife died and then the baby Right, right, right. There there are certain situations that are more traumatic than others, I guess, through the books. Or, I mean, every person gets affected differently. But just having to say something like, "X person has eight kids and five are leaving was very, very common and tragic, but definitely common.
7: Hi, Sandrine. Um, I really like the book as well. Uh, it reminds me of the Red Tent that I read a long time ago. And yeah. as you mentioned, it was hard to believe that uh, this was in the beginning of the 1900s. Uh, um, no, you know, and uh, unfortunately, I, I have not finished the book. Uh, not because I didn't love it, but uh, by lack of time. So, um, when um, you know they moved back to Aden and a little bit further, when she uh, met again Benjamin, but uh, that's fine. I can I can hear. Uh, <laughs> I will finish it, uh, and I feel like now you know, as she said, she's entering the modern world, and you know, more and more things are coming up. But until then, you almost. You know, could picture them living in tent still.
0: Yeah.
4: Absolutely.
6: Did, did you have me. something to say, uh, Adina Malka? Or are you saying hi? Because <laughs> you're on mute. You're on mute. Adina Malka, you're on mute still.
0: Adele, you're muted if you're trying to talk.
1: Oh, yeah, you there know, you I just came in late, so I wasn't sure how it was all structured, whether you had to wave your hand or whether you could just mm-hmm. respond or what. But um, is, I'm asking now, like, is there a theme or are we just sort of typing in what are sure. looking for? Sure, I'm
4: happy to answer that. Yeah, no, um, everybody, you, you can always jump in. Um, I'm going to bring up topics of conversations, but also... Um, they can evolve in different ways and that's totally welcome so yeah
1: well you know when I was reading it first of all I didn't want it to end it was just so wonderful but it, it, the this whole world of henna and every artist having her own you know her own patterns her own you know colors and I was just intrigued by how complex that was right. and um it was, I don't know whether you've already discussed this, and I could not believe the use of Hannah, that um, Honey had, uh, you know, put these secret messages, you know, uh, to meet uh, on on. Um, I, I just couldn't believe that she actually put those secret right. messages yeah. on on her arms. I it was just shocked.
4: That was that was a shocking. Keys, definitely. So, I'm going to jump into a few pieces of the book, and then I think we should um, get through some of the topics of more like cultural uh, topics of conversations that are so fascinating. Ariel, really, you were bringing up some of them, but I'm, I'm sure everybody has different like uh, discussions there. So, um, when, when you think about the book, I, I see Adela's life, and I think there were two main points in her childhood. Um, that were very, very significant for her. The first one is when Asaf, the cousin shows, showed, like he showed up in town and all of a sudden she has a prospect and she's engaged and like feels freed and, and it was a big transformation. And then things happen and that story, but the other big milestone in her childhood, I mean, we see it and it's hard to think she was a little girl, but she was a little girl. Um, the other piece is when their cousins, I mean, honey specifically, but the family moving into town and, and how that transformed her. I don't know how, I mean, if anyone wants to share, how did you see her childhood and those specific milestones, um, in particular, but just anything that, um, that caught your attention, I mean, definitely nothing that we can necessarily relate, but, there was so much fear and and then some happiness. I, one thing that I just need to share that I was amazed is like her the fear of the confiscators was so, so, so big, but at the same time, her family life, even though she had a great relationship with her father, the relationship with the mother was really poor, at least in her infanthood. And and the the big brothers, again, we're seeing it from the eyes of a five-year-old. So I wonder how much of that is true. But they seem to be super abusive. And and still what she fears the most was confiscation. It doesn't matter how bad her family life could be. Mm -hmm. But then these two things happen. Um, She sees Asaf and then um, her family joins town that are definitely milestones. So any comments on that? Um, yeah, let's, let's talk about her childhood. I don't know that she actually had
0: a childhood other than her friend Bashir, who she would skip and play with. Um, right. Even when Asaf came along, it wasn't a childlike relationship or friendship. She had nothing to compare it to. She had no context of childhood. And when her cousin's family moved in next door, suddenly her world began to open up a tiny bit and she saw that there are differences in how people live different than how she lives because her her life was day in and day out the same thing right her chores, her chores. sitting by her father's side and then later on becoming afraid of the confiscator and just putting up with her mother's shenanigans
4: yep that's a great point did she even had out what we think of a childhood mm. She
1: loved ago she loved her father and she loved being in the stall with him and working with the leather he said one parent
4: definitely that was a beautiful relationship
1: I didn't understand why the mother had to
3: be so awful she was awful she was mean and I mean
0: the the child's life it, it was it, the place that she had in her family she was the baby She's the only girl and you know it just the, the place of women in this society um was awful but uh it was especially so and i'm wondering what the motivation was the author's motivation
1: to make the mother such a horrible character you know what did that add to
2: the right story?
4: right why it made,
3: her, it made her i mean she was so lonely and unhappy you know
0: so what she lived she lived in a shadow of guilt all her adult life,
4: right. because of it, an indiscretion. That that I think that brought the, yeah, was, this yeah. story out. Yeah. Um, she lived a fake life. She her life wasn't truth to herself, and it was not only that; it was that layer with guilt, layer with an unhappy marriage. I mean, I'm not trying to defend the story, but I just think sure. that it comes to show us that. It was so hard to be yourself at the time. And that has a weight and has a big weight. And in her case, she just was an evil person because she was living a completely like a life full of like guilt and probably not herself. Right, but
5: she was, she, was living, she was living a lie. And I think she was also afraid of being revealed
4: right right that fear was when 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 she had that encounter later in the book where like we understand why she was so scared of the family moving into town we understand those because they knew right they knew she knew that the the the, the aunt, sure. yeah. yeah rachel didn't know what happened in that henna house so definitely. it's almost
0: like she felt she didn't deserve to be a mother
4: right right but but also she was I mean, her her marital relationship was also horrible, horrible. I mean, so she was mean to everybody, mean to her husband, mean to the kids. And there's
0: situations like that today all through humanity. For sure. Yep.
4: Anything else about her childhood? The,
5: The only thing that I wanted to say about it was it was hard for me to relate to her as a child. And I don't know if it was because of the experiences that she was having or because of the writing. I just didn't quite think of her as a child. I
4: I, I remember stopping at some point in the book uh, when she already moved in um, and I'm like, wow, she's only 16 now. Right. We, we've, we've, we've already read 200 pages of, of like deep transformation, but she's only 16, she's still a child. But you already relate to her because, and, and that's what makes the, the writing of the book so interesting because it's first person, but from present time, she's always looking at her childhood. She's like, at that time, I didn't know, but now I see that this is why. Oh,
5: okay. Maybe that's so that
4: make makes it it's it's a very interesting narrative style like like it's first person so it's not a narrator telling us what the little girl is going through is the same person but from a far from a just, oh looking backward then that's Look why back right it's it's when she writes at the end of the book she's like i'm gonna write my story so that's what we were seeing at the beginning her writing her story which is um really interesting it's a it's a different style though like we we're puzzled, like she's a five six having fear of the confiscator, but there's so in depth those thoughts that you don't put it into a five-year-old you know you right. think of a 40 year old whatever it is definitely so at I- the same time go ahead I-
6: uh, I was going to say, at the same time, she had to think about more adult things at a young age than a lot of us have to, though. I mean, mm-hmm. getting engaged at, how old was she when? Nine. 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 I yeah. nine, thank you. Yeah, but she was still so incredibly young and to be betrothed to someone already. That was so- late. The husband's going to be and you know it, it does kind of rob her of a little bit of childhood and, and just to have to think about being confiscated and uh, just the danger the fact that she would be so concerned I mean would be concerned anyway if, if the father was going to die but to know that if her father died this could also mean that
4: she wouldn't live with
6: her family anymore it was just a lot of intent
4: the level of, of yeah of decisions and thoughts that went throughout five six seven year old mind it's beyond our grasp
0: unfortunately a lot of children in world circumstances are forced to grow up very very young right looking mm-hmm. at afghanistan and all
4: the other craziness out there absolutely yep did what a role did you think that the cave had in her life what was that for her um, through her childhood, I mean, to be realistic, she left the place before, while she was still a girl. So, what? How do you think the cave evolved, or what, what did you think about the cave?
1: Oh, it, it was, was her safe place. place. It was her safe place, right?
5: And and it was the place that gave her control, right? She cre- could create and control a world in that cave, right?
4: Right. It, but but still, she decided to be a girl inside, which is what mm-hmm. she wanted so badly be, you know. I, um, it was her own control space. She decided who she let in and who, who she shared it with. But it, it was her little, I mean, she had these little gods that, as pagan as it can sound, I guess, it, it was a beautiful expression of faith and yeah. connection.
1: I didn't think of them as so much as idols. She wasn't worshiping. To me, they were like her dolls.
0: Me you know? too. Yes. yes right. Yeah. I, As a little girl growing up, I had two older brothers who would pick on me relentlessly. I always had my safe place I created very similar to her cave. Yeah. In the winter time, I would create an igloo out of snow and I'd bring things from the house and put them in there and I would stay in there for hours. And in the summer, oh, we had we had an upside down rowboat in the backyard that my father kept there, and I would get under there. That was my little special clubhouse. And then my closet in those other times. And it was I, I felt her. I felt like I identified with her need for that cave.
1: So yeah. you know when um, I was little, like I would have these little dolls. And I would make up a, a conversation between the two. You know, they would talk to each other, and that was how I thought of those little drawings on the wall or the little dolls that she made out. Kind of think of them as idols. They were just—they um, were—they sit- were sitting on a ledge, but not there for the
4: the worship.
0: Maybe they were just her friends.
4: Yes, friends. Her imaginary world. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah,
4: it it was a, it it, it repeat every time the cave came back in the story. even late in her life as she remembered it, it was that safe space, that safe place on her, some sort of a stability, doesn't matter what's happening, she was able to come back there. And then the
1: the three people in her life that were most important, Benjamin and Asa and Nani, all of them were right.
4: in the cave at one time or another. They were invited to the cave, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the, the name of the book, describe it, but I think definitely Henna is, is the core element of of, of the story. Um, it, it serves so many roles through the story of the book and through so probably the Yemeni Jews life in general but it um, meant I think I, I can think of 500 questions about the henna like what it meant for Adela specifically why her mom for she wasn't allowed to do henna for so many years but then um, something that struck to me as, as, as the core piece of henna and maybe today even though some people are trying to return to the roots and trying to connect to, like I have family and cousins that before their marriage today they would have a henna party, just, mm-hmm. just as a way to remember. In this, I'm here in the U.S. I mean, just as a way to remember in these traditions. Um, but the the value that henna had in the book of a way for women to connect and to communicate. More women, most most women at the time didn't know how to write, didn't know how to read. Um, and henna was a way to express themselves that to me was was the beauty of it and and I mean Adele you brought up the fact that it eventually was used in a crazy way for for Hani and and Asaf to meet like regardless of that I don't know what you what was the most interesting piece of the henna that you see through the book and through Adele's life and just in general Piece of expression. Everybody's muted, so if someone is talking, I cannot hear you. I didn't understand for
1: the longest time why um, Honey was uh, for. I mean, not Honey. What? Um, my mind is <laughs> the main character. Tell me, Adela. Yeah. No. Yeah. It. it um, I didn't understand why her mother w- was uh, so dead set against the, um, the henna for Adela until I understood later that, you know, it was the mother's indiscretion. Right. Having sex with another woman at that, right. her own henna party. That right. Then I understood why it was so
4: forbidden. Yeah. Right. That was the mom's relationship with the... With expression. henna. Yeah. Right.
1: And then I didn't realize just how all the ingredients she would name, all these plants and things I'd never heard of, like every page there was a plant i had never heard of. And it was very sensual description. I mean, all the colors and odors and combinations. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it was just very, very, I thought it's very sensual and very intricate um, I I admired the author must have tremendous knowledge of that. You just can't make that stuff up, you know? So I was very impressed.
4: Anyone else, anything about Hannah's meaning in the book or just in general that struck to you? I liked the
0: uh, part where when they were traveling And they were at an oasis. um, And she ended up teaching little girls the alphabet. Um, Oh, wait, that didn't have to do with the henna, though.
4: (laughs) Yes, she did it on return of of henna. Like, she was taught a new expression, that new... uh, Communication skill. Right, right, right. Yeah. She traded the Aleph bed for a, a new eye. right. So, right. Yeah. That's how important it was for her. I mean, definitely, that was, that was a very nice story. I, I think that was the pave for her to also be an educator, start teaching yeah. kids.
3: I didn't get the impression that the henna did anything for the, the man. It was more for the woman yeah. to uh-huh. yeah. feel a certain way, but I don't know that the men could care less, it, it wasn't from their perspective.
4: Right, I actually, going back to that point, I think, it interesting. I wrote a few paragraphs. Um, Adele at some point goes to her, her aunt, Rachel, and said, would you do henna in a manuscript, in a piece of paper? And she said, don't be fooled henna is not meant for posterity. That's for men. Mm-hmm. Papers and in and, and the, the expression that that in in their case that she, then the, she continued and said we become our own scrolls. We are our Torah scrolls. We we're not it's not for prosperity and we change and it's it's not permanent. Henna is not supposed to be permanent. Men do their writings and and it's permanent. So that was a very interesting contrast in the way women would express themselves. Henna actually was not for men. So absolutely, the, the, the reason why Henna House were very private and, and women would dance and eat and drink. And, and it, was, it was that way of connecting themselves. And it was, men were not invited and it was not at all a activity, even in a parallel room that happened for men. Men, men would not henna themselves um in, in 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 the words of Rachel is men have the posteriority of paper we have our bodies for a way of expressing ourselves
1: but at the end you know uh, Hani had uh, written the the um, the henna into a book in the concentration camp so it did go right. on to paper
4: yeah. right 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 that one for posterity and 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 I think Adela always wanted it she always wanted to to draw it and to have it in, in, in something that will remain forever. But, but it wasn't that the way henna was done back then. It was, Henna was a way for women. First of all, most women were illiterate Um, more than I was reading more than 80% of Yemeni women arrive uh, with very basic or not knowledge of, of writing and reading. But this was, a wave represent the ocean and and they had this like prayers for fertility for a bride and and it was a whole way of expressing themselves um and and at the same time it's very interesting to see how when she arrived to israel henna was not a part of their lives anymore yeah. they stopped doing it even though it, it was all she could think about for years, how and when it would become, and, and when she would be able to do it, would she be able to do it when she got married, would her mom allow it, it was all she could think about, and then um, all of a sudden, it just faded. And why did that happen? I, I found that that was... Was so
3: sad, you know. You like to think that you take your traditions with you, and this was a really old tradition. Right. And the fact that they didn't do it in Israel, um, I mean, I know the Ashkenazim were sort of, you know, right. So the, this there. is
4: really interesting. Um, um, the next topic, actually, we're gonna talk a little bit more about the, the, the that time and the immigration. I actually have my the story of my grandparents, so I can talk a little bit from firsthand, not firsthand, but close relationship it's really interesting but this is not unique to to Yemeni Jews this is this was the culture at the time Um, before jumping to that which is what's coming um is there any other comments or anyone wants to share any idea with the henna activity in the book well, I, I do think, um, I
5: think someone had said that um, maybe it was you, Charna, that it doesn't do anything for the men. But I think in the context of a physical relationship between men and women, it is very sensual for the man. And they, you know, particularly before, uh, on the eve of the wedding, they'll like write the husband's name and he's got to find the name on his wife's body. So, I mean, I think it it does that. I think also um, in some of these cultures, like... Uh, the, like the Turkish bath, the hammam, is where women used to go to actually bathe, and they are, were very free there, sort of in the way they'd be in a henna house, just because right. it's a place where they could really be themselves and there aren't men. And um, so to me, that was also very interesting.
4: In, and I, um, yeah, that was a beautiful element of, of, of womanhood, of, of being free mm-hmm. and expressing themselves. And um, so yeah, so I mean that's true. The men were recipients of the henna somehow. They mm-hmm. were some. They are, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and they were intrigued by it. They they were definitely intrigued. You
1: know, um, I'm just curious. You know, um, you know the the betrayal. You know between Hani and Asif. You know using Adele's body. I thought Asaf must have been able to read those Surreptitious. Notes. he must have known something. Not, that
4: also caught my eyes. I, I wonder whether Hani passed the, 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 the alphabet somehow privately. That's not clear in the book, how he learned how to read there. Or I even thought about, it. I went back to the time she described how she left the cave for him whether maybe she had written a a message in in that language, but there was nothing there Uh, because she did intentionally leave uh, messages for Asaf in the the cave. Um, There was nothing about this language described. So I think we, I assumed, and I don't know maybe anyone else, but I assumed that um, Hani had somehow communicate this language because this was not their first encounter so that she would have passed this um, ling- language or, or alphabet to um, Asaf. Well,
1: um, Hani had a secret code. I mean, maybe she imparted some of that to Asaf, <laughs> like if you see a rose or if you see a vine or, I mean, maybe she didn't, you know, give him the whole kit and caboodle, but maybe yeah. you know, she just said, look for certain flowers or <laughs> that'll mean. You know. I'm, I'm not so
0: sure that it was as deep as her using uh, Adele's body to send messages to him. I think it was just a pure chemistry that the two of them had right from the get-go. And I, she always had this wily way about her. And, um, you know, I just think that was nature taking its course. And they were just not being very
1: nice to Adele. Right. I, I thought it was a very specific communication because it let um, Asaf know when the husband would be at work or the right. father would be out of the house. I had a feeling that there was something, not just attraction, like they yes, could have that it. behind the barn. But, you know, it, it would, the, the affair took place in Hani's house and she was letting Asaf know,
4: you know. What time. But, yeah, so I thought it was pretty specific um another i mean that the, the lie that relationship the way honey meant so much for her how much she taught her and eventually she betrayed her but one point you can I-, I was wondering through the the time she moved to israel she continued with her life she find true love everything is good did she f- for did, did she really forgive her? And we really learned that at the last page of the book when she said, Hani saved me twice, she mm-hmm. saved me from my mother, and she saved me from Hitler. Mm-hmm. And and you can, I think you can tell then that she thought and she saw that some bigger power honey was doing her a favor and taking her place through this journey that it ultimately ends with Auschwitz. Um, well, but if she um, had stayed
0: with Asaf and went on his journey, she would have been in Hani's place at the concentration, at the concentration
4: camp. camp. That's, That's the point, camp. yeah. Right, so, so that gives me mm-hmm. that feeling that almost, is even more than forgiveness. It's, 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 she felt that Hani sacrificed herself for her. Um, I don't know if, if you guys had that feeling at, the, at that point of the book, or was it? I I don't know if it made me for uh, it's 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 a hard question, but I don't know that that was very interesting. Um. So going back to the time she she so she leaves um with the skull. I mean, it has a few names, but the operation that basically. Um, saved Yemenite Jews from, from Yemen, um, the, there is a paragraph there that it actually is, is it's been, um, it's written in books and it's been um, recorded where the rabbis were telling their people, like Mashiach has arrived, going to this plane because they're <laughs> eagles, they're literally eagles, and that, they, they, they were seeing planes for the first time, they thought, there, there's nothing worse than this new thing. They, The, the rabbis, they stay till the end making sure everybody would get into their planes, mm-hmm. making sure they, they would read this paragraph in the Bible that says that when Mashiach's arrived, we, we would fly an eagle. So that was the, the message and eventually took, I, I think that the, there is an account of two or 200 Jews that stand in Yemen, but 99% of Jews from Yemen left to Israel, and in the 1949 all the way to 1950-51, they they arrived to northern Israel and and they they settled camps of refugees and and they they were tasked to become Israelis. I I was telling Rabbi Ari that. My family from a different part of the world did a similar journey. That um, my grandfather with his siblings arriving to Israel. My grandpa, my my great uncle's name was Aaron. Is Aaron? He's still alive and God. And um, and they were. This is not an Israeli name. If it, even though it's a biblical name, it's a Jewish name. Um, you need to have an Israeli name. And they changed his name in 1950 to Tzvi because i was israeli and 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 now people know him in israel as but like we know him as our own because of my family but in any event it's it's just just a little um story of of how uh, the goal was to create this melting pot that doesn't matter where you come there were people that were um holocaust survivors and and there were people coming from all the arab world uh, just from everywhere and becoming israeli's was the goal that was a goal it's like there's two goals one is that you're physically safe your body you you have food you have the the, the way to survive and then that you become israeli but what's the price of that and 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 why did henna die or why they they stopped dressing the way their culture had made it so important for so so many years is because this was the plan that there, there was an intention behind which is we become Israelis there's no more Yiddish names there's no more just Arab names that we we all have Israeli names we all sing the same songs um there was even a tradition in which there was a list of songs danced in a wedding which were very Israeli songs and and you don't sing anymore your traditional songs in a wedding. And 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 that that's they, the extent of it. And even though they knew that that generation will remain very attached to the roots, they wanted to make sure those kids become Israelis. And
5: mm-hmm.
4: when we said with today's eyes, it's almost sad, but I don't know how what do you think about this this evolution, or if you want to call it that way, that was living in the 50s and 60s in Israel?
5: Well, I think um, I was studying sociology at Hebrew U in the 70s. Oh, wow. And and social anthropology. And there actually was then an effort, so this would have been like the early to mid-70s, to go back the other way. And for example, with the Moroccans to reinstitute the festival of Mamuna and to do things with the Yemenites, because they felt like that intentional thing didn't work. And not only did they lose their, you know, and they kind of lost their culture. So they wanted to bring back pride into that next generation.
4: So the, the idea was they thought it didn't work. That that was the they thought it had gone too far too far in- so they wanted the-
5: more, so this would have been I guess the 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 ones that they were targeting would have been the children of the immigrants to right. start bringing back some of the culture so that they could get pride in their origins right.
0: yeah. and also another way that it didn't necessarily work out was um, similar to what's uh, what we go what we have here there were racial problems. Um, people with the oh, yeah. darker skin, and they were in the the hovels and the slums, and they weren't allowed to get ahead in Israeli society. It was just a very difficult, challenging time for all the immigrants.
1: Absolutely. Yes. So,
0: um, a question that I had um, about the assimilation of people: when the what language did they speak in their home in Yemen? And then they had to come to Israel and yes. and they, they didn't know what spoken Hebrew was. That was only since Ben Yehuda came along. Right. But so, the Israelis were already adapting that.
4: Right. So there, I, I was reading about this actually. Um, their language was called Yemenite, Judaic, Arabic. <laughs> Those three words were part of their language. Yemenite, Jewish or Hebrew and Arabic. Um, the composition apparently was about 20 to 30 percent hebrew obviously biblical hebrew but it's still um it had a good part of um aramaic which it's very similar to hebrew so you could always like think that about like up to 50 percent was somehow words that would be relatable in hebrew and then the other part was um arabic and that was their language and um Men because they were literate in Hebrew and they know how to write and read. I mean, we know Adele and her family knew as well, but this wasn't the norm. At at least in the north, was not the norm. Um, They, they were better than the women. So there are some people narrating the story from the Israeli perspective. When the Yemenite arrived, what did they find, and and how they were so lacking culture and they, they didn't know how to use basic like they 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 were leaving the water running because they didn't know to turn it off even though there's no water in Israel like i mean this is from the perspective i mean we knew they had a very rich culture but i guess if you you're from, and from tel aviv and you come to these camps to see these people it was almost like going to a zoo you know like they're so different they're so unique um, but that, that, that's the language. So men had an easier time adapting to, to mo- modern Hebrew, than women. Um, but, but in general, all the basic words, they were familiar. So, um, food words. So any like just, um, utensils, so things that could be from, uh, biblical or old Hebrew, they, they were, they had familiarity, but that's a really, really interesting question. Yeah. Their, their language was. A unique language, and another interesting fact is that uh, historians think that taimani Hebrew, the, the actual Hebrew when they spoke in in, in their synagogues and in learning Torah, is the the most close to ancient to the very very old um, Hebrew from the time of the temple. The way they distinguish every single letter, like I don't know um, in, in modern Hebrew or even in Ashkenazi Hebrew, an ein and an aleph, you cannot tell the difference. For 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 Yemenite Jews, they 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 like <laughs> I don't know how to do it, but they have a, a, a tone. It's I
6: can try. I can try. It's like okay. flying. and it's way back in your throat. It's flying. Um This beautiful Yemenite singer and I had a session together. The one who's in Bintel Funk. The lead singer she taught me about Yemenite singing and she was like why can't you make that sound it's so easy it's fine. and I'm like oh like I had nothing to relate it to <laughs> it's very unique <laughs> it's very
4: unique and they as, as, apparently it is um the most similar to to our native language so it's it's very beautiful and and sad at the same time what um we were saying that it's it was needed to melt and they were trained to stop this accent they were and again then I and thank you for bringing that context but in the 70s there was some some sort of going back but in the early time when they would arrive they would teach them correct them from their pronunciation and like the way they pronounce like they would give them a pen and say iparon and make it don't make the i sound the way Tim do make it as an Israeli like they would force them to to, to fit in. So, but yeah, that's, that's their language, which, um, just a beautiful, also expression. And please, always please, um, just jump in, but, uh, I had going back to the book and, and seeing their life in
2: Yemen. It's like if I could just jump in for a second. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really enjoying the conversation, but one thing and you and I spoke about this earlier today, and I feel very strongly about this. Um, it's like we're a minor- Jews are a minority. And all we want really is to be allowed to express our individuality. And unfortunately within our minority, sometimes we do the same thing where the majority, right? Tells the minority, you can't be individual. You have to fit in to the masses. And it's so, it, it's it's like, it. Just personally, it's like um, it just it, it it boggles my mind about how we can almost. I mean, obviously not to the same extent. I'm not comparing, you know, horrific things to you know a, a, an iron or an aleph and modifying it slightly. But the concept of saying this is this is the right way or this is the way, and you can't be unique and individual. It's just it's it goes against the very essence of Judaism, and as I, just one, one other insight on that. We know there were 12 tribes, and it explains in Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism that 12 tribes were significant. It wasn't just, you know, different families. Like, well, then what's the point? I mean, it's also a point, but 12 tribes means that there were 12 different pathways within Judaism originally. It wasn't, ju- it wasn't monolithic one way to, you know, to, to connect. It was, there were 12 different ways. And to the best we can, it's, it's, it's really important. And we see this. It's really important to preserve unique individual customs and language and culture and dress and food. World's a better place with diversity, that's for sure. Anyway, right. that's uh, and a quick comment.
1: Agree. Oh, you know, the way I saw, I see it is, um, well, Israel was just becoming a nation on day one and they had to unify under language and strength. They had all these Arab enemies, you know, the, the day that they were made a nation, you know, they were attacked. They they um, I think that preserving your heritage is maybe more of a, a luxury once you get past the, mm-hmm. the, the price of survival.
4: Definitely, it was- that's a, that's a really good point. That's a really good point.
5: You know, they did that here with the, um, native americans or the indigenous people or they there were the children were actually taken away from families and sent to schools where they were not allowed to speak their native languages and then when they would come home they couldn't speak to their parents Mm
2: -hmm. i learned that recently because my daughter who's four years old is watching a pbs kids show animated show called Molly of Denali. And, and part of there's, I, and I've <laughs> over here one, I'm not a fan. Well, I'm not, not a fan, but whatever. But I overheard a, a, an episode where the grandfather is talking about how they didn't let them sing their songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and they took, they, they, whoever the day is I I wasn't paying that much attention and it's for kids and whatever. Yeah. I don't know how deeply they got into it, but for sure what he was saying. And I, Dina Malka, by the way, I agree with, with, with that aspect about unifying and try to get, you know, we have to be a nation and it's, it's not an easy balance for sure, but it's, it's definitely something to think about, you know, and And to, to to really think about what's, what's the cost. And maybe is there another way in which,
4: Right. You there's another that we'll point though, I think Ariella, going back to your original point, which you said we'll cover, which is it comes in a package. And and when you join a modern culture and you, you're you're judged for and I'm not saying it's wrong to judge, I'm just saying that when when some of your practices would become a very, very controversial practice, then what do I keep? What do I leave? Is it all or nothing? It, regardless okay in in this case israel had an active decision to to try to unify it and try to 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 mimetize people but then in reality when you get into when they get to israel or or we we see it even with, with um different native um population in different countries which some of the practice from our eyes in maybe from just an ethical and value-based life are questionable like is it okay for a girl to be engaged when she's three or, or after their, they were saying that some kids, some boys after they breed Mila, they, they get an engagement. No, it's not okay. Is it even okay for parents to choose who their kids you married? No, it's not okay. From our eyes, all of those behaviors would be judged negatively, but, but then how do they choose? How do they choose? Okay, henna is something we can keep but this other traditions that are so core to our lifestyle is something we need to leave out and, and, and forget, forget about. So I think that's one of the points of the challenge of, of choosing, of, of deciding, but going back to the, the, the practice of um, the kids getting engaged very young, it, it is true. They used to get engaged really young. Not only girls, it was boys and girls alike. Um, marriage was arranged so it wasn't something as like you're getting married at three it was something as like you already have a someone you're going to marry when the time comes Um, again not trying to defend it or not I'm just saying how the practice was done Um, another interesting thing is the confiscator was common it was not all through Yemen but it was a common practice Mm. So the, the engagement was somehow sort of protection.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, again, not everywhere. The, the practice was everywhere, but it had a component of protection of, of women either belong to their parents' house or to their spouse's house. There, there's not an in-between. So having them already a um, husband, a potential husband or a contract that says when the time comes, they're going to get married, would allow that, that fear of, of not belonging to anyone to go away. So that's just another point. Um, about the marriage itself or the age gap definitely happened. Um, I think it was more unique. It, it, it wasn't intended to be for a 35 year old to marry a 14 year old, more than just having a prospect for the 14 year old to get married marriage was really young um, as the book described a few months after they get their first period, they were married. That's also true based on most of the research I was doing. And, um, and I think Adrian, you brought the question about whether multiple wives was, was also true. And, and, and it was true. Um, it wasn't though a practice of leisure more than a practice of need. Um, a men was a way to protect a women. And we see it in many t- ways in the book. It wasn't necessarily men trying to impose protection. It was, you cannot go to Bath alone because there is this weird guy raping women in the town. And, and these sort of stories were common and women would get raped or would die or they would find this this would happen in Yemen and um and actually it happened a few times with muslims girls and they used to to blame jews and even was part of some of the pogroms against the jews was was some some of the 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 fear of like jewish uh men being depressed but but i mean that was more than anything anti-semitism all the, the pogroms that happened there but um the the point being that a man with multiple wives was usually what um, David did for uh, for Adela, which is you're going to marry me before you need to go with a confiscator. And, and, and again, I, I don't think we can talk about every single case. There was very rare cases for more than two wives for a man. So that was the maximum. Again, I guess it was allowed to be more than that, but it wasn't common. Very, very rare. And the cases that were two wives, it wasn't the norm. It was more than more often than not, um, a situation of, of parents asking a man to marry a second wife.
0: Hmm. So when they went to Israel, um, was Israel also still allowing in the, the Jewish yeah. culture, the multiple wives,
4: and, or did that soon get abandoned? That's very interesting. Israel didn't allow the practice it allowed the families that were already formed to keep their, their mm-hmm. dynamics. I um,
1: yeah. yeah, I had a comment about the, um, you know, the arranged, the arranged marriages to protect the woman. I thought it was a really awful point in the book where after Asaf left, um, Adela was engaged to Mr. Musa. <sighs> oh God, that <laughs> was, like, you know, <laughs> terrifying.
2: terrifying. <laughs>
1: And then it was also interesting how Musa and his wife uh, died <laughs> conveniently. But
2: don't,
0: don't you think Honey did it? I do. Remember, she went over there. She said, "Oh, I'll take it yeah. in the basket." And she went over there and then came back, kind of with a smug face.
4: Right, I definitely do. And I think that was the third time that that Honey, as, as part of a character, she was, and as much as we. Be- learned to hate her kind of. But it was the third time she saved or the second time she saved mm-hmm. you know, when she killed uh, and, and we don't know, but I definitely think she did it. Yeah. yeah. That uh, was a pretty, a scary
1: arrangement. You know, when I was up, I just that, oh my God.
4: Which is part of the henna beauty, which had almost this not beyond nature, element as, as godly or magical or future telling and it was part of the henna experience.
0: Can I ask a quick question has anybody here ever had henna
1: applied? Yes you know what happens like where I get my eyebrows done it's a in, the Indian ladies own the salon and after on your birthday they they give you henna and mm. I have one on my arm.
0: And did it, did, do you feel it, does it hurt?
1: No, it was an extremely pleasant experience. Okay, so. And it lasts like eight, maybe eight or nine days.
0: Okay, so it's a, a temporary tattoo. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my
7: daughter who's 15, she's really good at it. Oh, really? Awesome. She got it from the Indian store, Patel, <laughs> and uh yeah, no, it's nice. It's temporary, so that's a good part. It,
5: I've had it done at, um, if, for Indian weddings. You do it the night before for the bride. But what's weird about it, it flakes off. So you wake up the next morning and there are all of these flakes, in like brown flakes in your bed. And then when it flakes off, that's where the real color is. And, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah well, when
3: it was... Actually, in uh, Egypt, uh, they
1: do it everywhere. I mean, like on the beach, everywhere, you can just do right. it.
4: <laughs> Have you been to Egypt? I, I don't recall
1: it
3: in Israel, though, but um, on the Egypt, so, like especially in the beach, um, you can find.
4: I mean,
0: it. the resort towns.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can do it different ones.
4: That's, yeah, I, I, I had a family having henna parties before. Um, a few weeks before their wedding Mm -hmm. Um, the tradition today is that it should fade completely before the women immerse themselves to the mikvah so it's as as of not to have anything between your skin and the water so um in the book it was done a week or so before i don't know if we become more strict we can leave that to rabbi ari to 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 discuss (laughs) but i know at least the the people that I've um, that they've had it, it's been enough before the wedding that will completely fade.
0: Rabbi, um, are the women in the Chabad world um, using henna, or is that not part a, of the?
2: It's a good question. Um, I have not seen it be used in like within the Chabad specific community. But the larger Chabad community, when I say the specific Chabad community, I mean, like, you know, Crown Heights or whatever. It's not it's it, it's definitely not not prevalent. If, if some are doing it, I, I'm not familiar with it. Um, but certainly within Chabad communities out out there in the world, you know, Chabad is is worldwide. You know, so there's definitely a lot. We, we had a, a young girl. Well, I mean, um, uh, Sandrine mentioned that that her daughter is doing it. We, have, we had another young, not, not young girl anymore, but another girl who came up through our Hebrew school and yes,
1: uh,
2: yes. So, Alana Morrison. So she yes. does it and she's very <laughs> prolific at it. So it's, it, it's, it's around, but it's not necessarily a, a specifically Chabad custom.
0: So I'll put you on the spot. As a man, if uh, suddenly your wife said, I'm going to have a, hen- a henna done, And she came home and showed you. Do you think that it would bother you, or would you like it, or do you have any feelings one way or another?
2: It's it's a good question. Um, It's a very good question.
1: You're really putting me on the spot. I know, I said that. At least you're not putting
2: me on the spot or anything. (laughs) Okay. Um, So I. I, uh, You
1: don't need to answer. It's okay.
2: Yeah, and I don't think it would bother me. I don't think it would bother me.
1: Well, you're a very.
0: forward thinking person (laughs) or backward in this case
3: it's historical right Hmm? Susan I have a question about Hannah just in general Um, isn't Hannah imitating the customs of the Gentiles
5: Rebbe Sollush
2: um it depends yes if it's (laughs) it's a Jewish custom well is it it a
3: Jewish custom
2: it seems, didn't start like out certain, with it seems like in certain in certain areas it it, it became. It's interesting. Yeah. It's like along the lines. It's a good question, and I would have to do a little bit more research. I haven't heard it being considered the custom of the nations, and therefore being forbidden. I haven't heard that, but I understand your question. It it, it reminds me of a similar thought you know uh, um in this past week's Torah portion uh yesterday the Torah portion we read yesterday talks about Eliezer the servant of Avram Abraham's servant who meets Rebecca and he gives her a nose ring and in many you know orthodox Jewish communities a nose ring would be something that would be you know too out there and Mm -hmm. our matriarch Rebecca got a nose ring and I'm sure it wasn't there to give to a friend I mean so that's So what's interesting is, so so who defines what is Jewish custom? I'm only bringing that to ask the question, kind of to, I I don't know that I'm giving you an answer. This is also a rabbi technique, by the way, but no, I'm kidding. I know. (laughs) Question also, which is, so what makes a custom Jewish and what makes it not Jewish? And at what point is there maybe a tipping point where it started off as not necessarily a Jewish custom, but it became a Jewish custom, even just not not the same thing, but you know another point chapters and ver- chapter and verse in Torah doesn't have Jewish origins right
1: well, is it is it true that uh, the Torah forbids us uh, to pierce the body that's not true oh that's not
4: true have a few can't mutilate
0: you can't mutilate
2: the body you can't you can't harm the body so if it's for oh. beauty I mean I the earrings right? right? Are universally allowed and accepted because even though it does create uh, create a hole in the body it's not considered to be harming the body it's considered to be for beauty right so then the question is so who defines what is beauty versus harm
4: right and, and it's um, the
2: question what's normal and what's accepted etc and then who defines what's accepted again I'm not answering the question I'm just telling you that it's it's a good, it's a very good question. I haven't heard it. Um, Hannah, getting back to the original question, being in the category of that, which is, you know, adopting the, um, you know, a foreign custom, but it's a good question.
7: And I think, I think it's still popular amongst the Jews from Morocco and Tunisia, descent. Right. And Yeah, Tunisia, this
2: yeah it def- it definitely ha- has, a, you know, a, a, a long origin in, in communities and it, it being that that's the case to, you know to 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 say that it's you know it's not it's not Jewish because we've never heard when I say we Ashkenazi Jews <laughs> haven't done it, you know or yeah. didn't, didn't practice it, that's yeah. a bit of a you know it's it's like I said before, it we're a colorful people, and that's a good thing
4: yeah it, that's very interesting because I mean the book i I was thinking a lot of of how many of their costumes are just borrowed. From Muslims living among them, and, and the opposite, how many Muslims um, borrow Jewish culture, cultural? Culture? Yeah. Um, it doesn't. It, it's not very clear the origin of henna, whether it's a Jewish or not. Very likely not, but it was right. made into Jewish tradition, and and then evolve into Muslims requiring Jewish artists because their expression was unique or their so so it was it was always shared and it was always like evolving from the other to to us and and the opposite way um but also shows so much how much of our Judaism is touched by the 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 surroundings and, and do are they bad practices or things we should stay away but like if you Compare Jews from Russia or or the ones more they were used to in America. Ninety percent of Jews are Ashkenazim, um, or Europe. How much of their traditions and ways were actually affected by the neighboring? T- a lot, yeah. A, a lot. lot. And, no question. And n- names that um, in 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 the Torah we talk about how keeping Jewish names was our vital survival skill. But how many names we took from the? The surroundings like uh, how many Ashkenazi names we we consider Jewish today but in reality they are, they're they source that they have Jewish source but they they also were combined with the, the culture and the way they wanted their names to to sound fine on the local and and I'm sephardic from from Turkey specifically but the names in my family history are very sephardic sounding names and and they were I actually asked once a rabbi. It's like, would I be allowed to put if I would want to name a kid with one of these names? To name them by the Torah with these names, like Estrella, which means a star in Spanish, or or Matilda. And it's like, yes, these are Jewish names. They they were for 500 years, for a thousand years. So they 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 get they become the same way that, that Ashkenazi Jew names are. So it's I think a lot of it is because it's very foreign for most. Uh, Jews, the henna practice specifically, and we, we've been familiar with it in Indian culture or other cultures, um, but um, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, I would love to do more research into really how it started, or where it comes from, but I think it it's so central to Jewish women expression in life that I'm not a rabbi, but I would, I don't know, I just think it's a beautiful expression, and, and yeah, yeah.
7: What about the like uh, superstition and you know, kind of magic and right? It seems to be in the culture, also in the Sephardic culture, more than Ashkenazi with the uh, evil eyes, the uh, hamsters. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't um, know some... more than Ashkenazi though. I, I
4: don't know. Maybe at least in Chabad, we have so many, so many. I don't, I don't want to call them superstitions because that makes it almost like a non-Jewish practice. But, mm. uh, pre-
0: but there's, there's traditions, of like my, my ex-mother-in-law, if you said something um, good, she said that her mother used to spit on the ground, of course. you know, like don't tempt yeah. the devil. And in fact, her her mother, she got burned very badly as a young baby. And so her mother changed her middle name so that the devil wouldn't know who she was.
4: Yeah, but you that know, also so. right. So the, the, the line between whether it's a superstition or it's a Jewish practice, I won't have had a rab from Chabad made me take my kid outside of the table because the God forbid the angel of death can confuse it with. You know, like uh, it's everywhere, and, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm, I'm just saying that we, when we see it from our eyes, their practices and so much as, as like superstition and, and symbolism, and the eye and the hand, and these and that. But, but I think it's everywhere. <laughs> I don't know if Jews are very superstitious, but um, I'll tell you, by
2: the way, a lot of things that we think are like super, like random superstitions. When you look at the sources, and I, you know, t- we don't have time to go through, you know, details and examples, but there are some fascinating things like Ayn Hara, you know, the evil eye. There's some just el- very elaborate teachings on it that explain the concept. Yes. Um, and and many times, often in Kab- in Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, it's explained these ideas in in a way that you realize it's not just you know random, you know, stuff. That, but there's something to it
4: right yeah, yeah but um, I really appreciate you guys going through the review of the book I think um, it was a fun book and very interesting and a very good discussion. We are at 9:18 three minutes past the one hour and <laughs> minutes. Um, I do want to say one thing uh, Rabbi Ari is a very busy Rabbi so we are gonna talk about the next book tomorrow and we'll send that through e- via email if that's okay.
2: So one second. Actually, I was I was looking over our list because oh, I and I have list. Okay,
4: um, awesome.
2: Are we? Are do you think? You know, let's. Ha- I don't mind having a discussion in front of everybody. I mean, whatever. So yeah. The night. Should we do the nightingale? The nightingale said, "Beautiful, amazing it's a
4: beautiful book." book. It is long, though. So I want to know whether people would be okay with the 400. 400-
2: and that's why I wanted to ask it, because I've I've looked at it, mm-hmm. and it looks amazing.
4: Amazing. And
2: it looks it
4: very
5: evocative.
2: Yeah. Eve, you've read it?
5: Yes. It's a wonderful book. A wonderful
2: would book. you read it again or no? But mm. yeah, you could be part of the conversation. I
5: mean, yeah, if you read no, it. No, I think I would read it again.
2: So I guess the question that we'll ask, and this is why I wanted to bring it up, is, Cause we have to, we're going to work with the group. I mean, it's, and it's no pressure. It's, it's, it's a 600 page book. So the question is if that's something that's.
1: Is the, do we have another
4: choice? We can, oh,
2: work, we can come, <laughs> we can come up with another one and then email tomorrow.
4: I have a few options that I was asking a few groups of people that I'm, um, that I trust. Um, and and they put us a rule 350 page in less. So um, we can definitely, if, if, and, and I totally understand, I mean, six, reading 600 pages in a month is a lot. So, um, but that's a wonderful book. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. So okay,
0: well, if I can ask, um, how heavy is this book? That's a great question. It is. I don't mean weight. I mean, mentally right, heavy. Right. 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 Um Right. Now in the time of pandemic, I'm just, you know, I like to keep things a little bit on the light side.
4: Right. Let's, let's, talk raviari um it, it touched the Holocaust and, and I think anything re- re- related to World War II, just by definition it's heavy and and that affects a lot of emotions so um, maybe we can find up more
0: but if the, if the majority wants to go with it you know don't let me hold you back
2: so so, so I listen I wanted to take the temperature by by floating it and I'm you know I, I'm getting I'm getting the kind of the caution on for on a few sides, the page count and also, you know, the topic. So let's 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 not set a book right now. She's got tomorrow. I'll send it an email and we'll have something set. Ariella and I will go we'll, we'll we'll have a discussion, conversation. And I I hope you trust, I mean I trust Ariella. Mm-hmm. I hope you trust us to uh, to come up with something that'll be fun and and a good a good discussion.
0: And how are, are you both open to all of us if we have a book in mind to send you
4: ideas as well? Yeah,
1: absolutely.
4: Yeah, sure. um, I, I think we we're trying to keep it into the, the fun, interesting, unique novels, but that have some sort of Jewish- Relevance. national uh, yep. Relevance or, yeah. yeah or, or it can be by association, um, something that we can, yeah. So yeah, definitely. Definitely
2: send, for sure.
4: Right. Thank you.
7: Right. And, and if you want to learn more about the Yemenite culture on, on a light topic, there's a nice uh, Israeli TV show called The Baker and the Beauty. Awesome. And it's free on Prime and it's, you know, oh, it's cool. the Yemenite That's family. So, so cool. nowadays in Israel. What's it called again?
2: Send you what's the it called? The
7: Baker and the Beauty. I think they I saw that. Yeah, it's pretty it's light. It's yeah. not cheap, yeah. you know, but uh, <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. Okay. Sounds that's good.
2: Great. Ariella, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, all Ariella,
7: Thank you.
4: It was a wonderful thank discussion. discussion.
2: Now, thank you. I just you. want to mention one more time, I don't know if you can see this. Uh, <laughs>
4: the, oh, that's the, yes. We so have right. our, mm-hmm. our okay. custom
2: roche Society Back cup and our bottle of wine and our gift bag. If you want to join Join tomorrow night. We have the launch of our it's for women only. Um and Dina Schusterman will be teaching it tomorrow night
7: oh, it's a course
2: called Code to Joy. It's all about joy and happiness and um, it combines um positive psychology with ancient Jewish teachings, and it's a very cool course. So highly recommend it. H- highly recommend it. you can take a look on our website, in Jewishacademy.org slash joy. So join. It'll be fun.
5: Thank you. Okay.
2: Thank you. okay.
5: Thanks.
0: Good night, everyone. Good, Good, everyone. Night. Good night. Great Successful
1: discussion. Thank you. Thank it was you. a great, great book. Thank, Thank, Thank you, Bye. Bye.